If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We've got a terrific Thursday morning show, and we start today with the changes to Canada's passports. If you heard about this story yesterday, images of Terry Fox, images of the Vimy Ridge Memorial, removed from the passport pages. Got a lot of people talking. A lot of people are not very happy about it, including my first guest today, Brad West, the mayor of Port Coquitlam. Very pleased to welcome him in the studio today. Brad, thanks a lot for coming on today. Thanks for having me here, Mike. Okay, so let's talk about Terry Fox, right? The real hero, the hero of Port Coquitlam, for sure. Hero for all of Canada and British Columbia. And I, I'm not sh- sure what, what went through your mind yesterday when you heard that his images were being taken out of the passport how did you find out about this yesterday well i was pretty surprised and i found out because a resident sent me an email and the the subject was wtf uh-huh. and i saw that and i thought <laughs> uh-oh what's this gonna be yeah. and i opened it up and it was a clipping of a news story that said that terry fox had been removed from canadian passports and i just I'm like what no that yeah. that that can't be. Maybe this person's mistaken. And then, of course, I did a little bit of a research and I saw the news clippings and saw that, in fact, that decision had been made. And, you know, whoever made that decision, I'm not sure if that's uh, someone in the Ottawa bureaucracy somewhere. But, I mean, give your head a shake. This country actually needs more Terry Fox, not less. Yeah. You know, at a time when we feel very divided over many things, Terry Fox is one of those unique figures who unifies our country. No matter your political beliefs, no matter whether you're a new Canadian or you've been here for generations, no matter your ethnicity, race, whatever it is. I think people identify with Terry Fox and his story. They're inspired by it. Uh, It's a source of pride. Does that really change, though, if they redesign the passports? I mean, this is an exercise they go through, like, I was looking at some of the background this yesterday, like every 10 years or so. Yeah. They'll do a redesign on the passport. They bring in new security features, and they'll change the design of it. Yeah, I no, it doesn't change the legacy of right. Terry Fox, and it's not going to change how people feel about Terry Fox, and it's not canceling Terry Fox. But to me, it is one of those classic, if it ain't broke, why fix it? Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, why could you have not kept that image there? Because it's an image a lot of people would have pride in. And I'll tell you, like, when I've been traveling... And, you know, you've got your, your Canadian passport out and you might be in an airport and you strike up a conversation and, you know, see someone's passport. They see yours. Oh, hey, you're from so-and-so, right? And I'll tell you, I've had conversations. I remember this conversation explicitly, a conversation with a gentleman from Australia in Toronto Pearson Airport. He saw my passport. He's like, oh, uh, how you doing? How you doing? You're, you're from here. So you can tell me what I need to check out. And I said, well, I'm actually from the other part of the country. I'm from British Columbia. And, you know, we struck up a conversation and, 
you know, oh, what do you do, mate? And I said, well, I'm a mayor. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's like, oh, a mayor. Where are you mayor of? And I'm like, mayor of Porco Quitlam. Never heard of it. <laughs> of sure. course. I said, well, it's the hometown of Terry Fox. Okay, now now we know. And he said, oh. you're kidding me. Oh. And he told me his story about being a young child in Australia participating oh. in Terry Fox runs. Mm-hmm. Um, and God's honest truth, I showed him the image in my passport wow. because I knew it was there. So, again, I, I know it's not the end of the world. Yeah. I know that people are still going to identify with Terry Fox. No government is going to be able to you know, erase or uh, limit the connection that Canadians feel with him. I just think it's a boneheaded, stupid thing to do. Yeah. It was there. Why not just leave it? Right. And so Terry Fox images have been removed from the passport pages and a, and a bunch of other images have been removed as well. There is an image of the fathers of confederation, the founding of the country. There's image of the Vimy Ridge Memorial, right? sacred place for yeah. Canadian veterans. A lot of Canadians, Canadians laid down their lives there in the First World War. So let's. this blew up yesterday in the House of Commons. So let's have a listen to this here now. So you're going to hear the Conservative leader, Pierre Polyev, here sparring with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau over the Now, his interesting choice of words here, you were mentioning that you don't think this is cancelling Terry Fox, taking him out of the password pages. Polyev, I think, has a bit of a different spin on it. So let's have a listen. They erased Vimy Ridge to put in an image of a squirrel eating a nut. They erased Terry Fox, a guy who ran halfway across the country to fight cancer, to put in a man raking leaves. While the Conservative Party continues to try to pick fights in the House, this government is focused on delivering for Canadians, for hardworking families and for workers. Okay, so it went on from there. He also he also used the word cancelling as well. You know, you're trying to cancel our veterans, cancel Terry Fox, cancel the, the founding fathers of the country. What, what do you let's talk about Vimy Ridge for a minute. Yeah. OK, so he, he says this is a, an insult to the veterans of Canada. What do you say? Taking that image out. Well, I know that the, the Legion expressed their disappointment, and, and I think that was the wrong move, too. I, I, again, I mean, I get that on either side, they're going to try and score their you know political points. Uh, and I understand that. Um but for me, you know, I listened very closely to what the minister had said. And the minister said, well, we've tried to chose images that speak to the Canadian spirit and identity. Yeah. Vimy Ridge, Terry Fox. I mean, to me, that was the answer. And so this just, I guess overall, this move to go to these very kind of boring, generic images, I, I just think that's the wrong move. Um Again, I, I want to put in context of at the end of the day, it's our, our passport and, you know, it's not going to, in our hearts and in our minds, erase the connection we feel to our veterans who we owe a, a gratitude that can never be paid. But I also believe that symbolic acts are important. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe some people will dismiss it as ah, just a page in the passport, whatever. Yeah. Right. But um you know, passport's an important document that we have. It's what we, we travel with. It entitles the bearer of it to certain rights. And I just think it was a, a nice and fitting tribute to have images that really resonate with Canadians in our passports. 
Okay, we've got a few more minutes with Brad West, uh, Mayor of Port Coquitlam. We're talking about the redesign of Canada's passports. The image of Terry Fox no longer there. The image of the Vimy Ridge Memorial gone as well. Call me on at 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Let's go right to your call. Stephen in Surrey. Hi, Stephen. Go ahead. Yeah, hi, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I'm I'm a senior. I, I like getting stuck in the old, but I also believe that with change is good. I've traveled a lot in my past uh, for business and pleasure, and and uh, just because we don't have uh, the great people that we have in our passport today doesn't mean we think any less of them. And I think some of the new designs are just I, actually what people think of Canada. Uh, I, I think it's all positive. I, I, I agree. Ch- change is good. We shouldn't get stuck in the past. Again, no disrespect to the people who are in there. But I do think some of this uh, new design is going to be a slam dunk in, in the places outside of Canada as we travel. So that's just okay. what I wanted to add. Thank you for that. I, I, I took a look at the the new designed logos and, and illustrations in there. I didn't think it looked that bad. I mean, it's kind of a colorful sort of more of a more of a almost like a comic book or a cartoon type of uh, illustrative sort of mode they're using there. And I, I didn't think it looked unattractive or anything. Um, but still, I, I guess you just wonder. Like you said, if it ain't broke, why, why mess with it? Yeah, um, the new images are, I guess, fine. They're not, you know, they're not poorly done or anything like that. Um, But I, uh, you know, and this is just my personal opinion, but I think a lot of people share it. It doesn't really speak to me, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, not to be glib about it, but a gentleman raking leaves doesn't exactly speak to me in the same way that uh, an image of Terry Fox. Uh, who's such a you know defining person in our country yeah. who who I think is also current, and you know the gentleman talked about the past, and I, I know it's been some years since Terry has passed, but his marathon of hope carries on I mean every single year, hundreds of thousands of Canadians in big cities and in small towns and in elementary schools and high schools, and in fact all around the world yeah. come together to carry on his legacy. So to me, that that's not a passe thing. That That's something that, you know, we should hold on to and can continue to be inspired. Do you by. think that there's anything more nefarious going on here? Because, you know, Polyev was trying to frame this yesterday in the House of Commons that, oh, you guys have tried to cancel our veterans. You've canceled Terry Fox, like almost suggesting this is some sort of, you know, woke agenda by by the Trudeau government here to, er, to er, erase an image of a, a veteran's memorial. In, in something because of it, because it's politically incorrect to do something different. Do you think that's really going on, or is this more of a like? I got a feeling that maybe Trudeau and and the, and the rest of that cabinet didn't anticipate a, a backlash to this. My sense is they they probably weren't even paying attention to it. Yeah. You know, this seems like one of those classic government things where the bureaucracy is doing something because oh well, there's uh, you know <laughs> there's a date in the calendar that says now we're supposed to do this, so they do this, they run a process, and and, and I suspect that a lot of the elected officials probably didn't know until their phone started lighting up yeah. with people saying, well, why have you done this? Right. Um, th- that's my sense. Back to the calls, Liz in Courtney. Hi, Liz. Go ahead. Good morning, Dylan. Um, I'm heartbroken that Terry has been removed from uh, our passport. I do travel a lot, and uh, the Canadian passport is, is uh, like um, Mayor Brad. I'm in line, and I'm always looking at people's passports and 
sharing information, and I'll tell you, people around the world know who Terry Fox is. He's been uh, a part of our Canadian makeup, um, and in such a positive way for many people around the world. And the, the uh, Terry Fox Foundation has, um, you know, allowed um, and benefited so many people worldwide, and he really yeah. is something that uh, is Canadian. Uh, I don't have anything against the new drawings, but they're not representative, I don't believe, of Canada. And, and again, I'm, I'm just heartbroken that Terry's been removed from the passport. Thank you, Liz, for the call. I really appreciate it. Let's squeeze some more calls in here while we can. Rob in Chilliwack. Hi, Rob. Go ahead. Hi, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Mr. West. I agree with you 100%. They shouldn't have removed them. That's my own opinion on that. You know, Vimy Ridge being replaced with a squirrel and a nut. Sorry. That, that's just, could they not have put like some, another war memorial picture, something? I mean, yeah. that, it's just embarrassing. Terry Fox, world renowned. I, I've been, I've traveled a little bit in Europe and stuff. And yeah, people look at our passport. Oh, Terry Fox. It's, it's a sad scenario. But Mike, if I may say one more thing quickly, I also believe though, you, you used the word nefarious before. I think also Paul Yev is making this issue very, very large. And I think he wants to turn the channel himself from his comments the other day about Trudeau traveling around the world. I hate to say that, but he's a savvy politician. And I think he just wants to turn the page on that and have another issue. Yeah. I hate to say it, but, you know, thanks, guys. Have a good day. Okay. Okay. He's savvy. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, for sure. He's savvy. And if you listen carefully to how he framed this yesterday, how he said the government's trying to cancel our veterans, you know, listen carefully to the, the choice of language there. And it's pretty obvious how they want to frame it. Brenda in Merritt. Hi, Brenda, go ahead. Hello. Hi. Hi. What do you, what My do you think? theory is um, a squirrel with a nut or a person raking leaves can be from any country. Mm. We need to put forth our country, and that's what Canada is about. Terry Fox um, was such an icon for us. And Vimy Ridge, our veterans. I guess Vimy Ridge sort of hits home for me because I had a grandfather that was in the trenches at Vimy Ridge. And wow. we're, we're losing, you know, our elderly that fought for us. And that was another way that we could appreciate what they have done for us. And, yeah. Okay, Brenda, thank you for the call. Oh, that was a great point that she pointed out there, that the images they've chosen are not essentially distinctive or unique to Canada, but your thoughts? No, absolutely. There's nothing particular Canadian about a squirrel or a, yeah. a person raking leaves. Again, not to be glib about it, but the minister did say, hey, we went through this to choose images that spoke to the Canadian identity and the Canadian yeah. spirit, and that yeah. just didn't seem to match with the decision to remove Terry Fox, to remove Vimy Ridge. I, I know so often things become political footballs, and I've even seen, you know, on my own social media, those who support the federal Liberal Party going to, you know, extend to try and uh, say, well, hey, no big deal. And those who support the opposition, you know, saying, you know, they've done this on purpose. And, you know, to me, like, this should not be a partisan thing. Terry Fox respect for our veterans, it doesn't matter who you go and cast your ballot for at the end of the day. Let's have a few things in this country that bring us together that we can all agree upon. Yeah. And to me, that's where I'm coming from, and I think that's where a lot of people are coming from. 
And I'm, I hope they're listening, um, because if they're listening, I think they're going to get that from Canadians. All right. Mayor Brad West, Port Coquitlam, thanks a lot for coming into the studio today. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Nice yeah. to be here. Nice to see the digs, Mike. It is. Well, yeah, it's the very palatial <laughs> studio we have here, as you can see. All right, let's keep talking about the continuing fallout here from that spending scandal over at BC Housing. That forensic report into the operations of this massive social housing agency, the conflicts of interest over there between the former CEO and and his wife, the CEO of the largest housing provider they worked with, Etira. The irregular payments described in this report, the deleted text messages and changed meeting minutes. Man, this continues to dominate the political agenda at the legislature in Victoria. The search for answers continuing here, too. Check this out now. This story broke several days ago. We still have no comment here from one of the key figures here, Janice Abbott, the CEO of this Atira Society, this housing provider, I got Dr. Julian Summers standing by to talk about this. First, let's have a listen to this report here. Global News reporter Krista Dow. Oh, hi there. Calling from Global BC. Is Janice Abbott available? Not in at the moment. It has been three days since a bombshell report of mismanagement and a conflict of interest at BC Housing and its dealing with Atira. And there's been no sign of Atira CEO Janice Abbott. Hi, We sent multiple emails, phone calls and text messages directly to reach Abbott. No response. A business lawyer calls the audit troubling and a failure of governance. The violations of conflict of interest really, you know, enabled Atira to access unfairly and disproportionately uh, the public purse. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about how we're doing these social housing projects here. There's a lot of money being spent here, millions and millions of dollars. Is it being spent effectively? Think about some of the housing models we've got here now for people who are homeless, mentally ill, addicted to drugs. The SROs, those single-room occupancy hotels, where we have so many people living in the downtown east side. Does this make any sense to house people this way? Is there a better way to do this? Let's discuss with my guest. Dr. Julian Summers, addictions researcher, Simon Fraser University. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Dr. Summers, thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, now this is a story that goes back many, many years. And there have been people who have criticized the housing models that we've built here over many years. And I know you have a lot of concerns about it too, right? Like the way that we're housing people who are, who are struggling here, the SRO model, the single room occupancy hotels, what what is wrong with that in your opinion uh well i can i can take it uh out of the realm of of opinion um in some ways uh because we have evidence from randomized controlled trials in which the sro model has been directly compared to other approaches to supporting people and the evidence is extremely clear that the social context that people are housed in, as well as the quality of the structures themselves, has a profound influence on how people fare. Um, and I'm, I'm talking specifically about people who are exiting homelessness or um, who have been homeless in the past and who are experiencing symptoms of serious mental illnesses, including addictions. 
so um, the the model that we have um, it, it, normatively in in, in BC um, has been stuck for many many years, and what we are learning through this audit is a partial insight into why we have been stuck. The the real cost, in my view, um, isn't the dollars and cents; those are outrageous. But the real cost is the fact that sticking with this approach that benefits insiders has meant we have failed to embrace evidence that shows us a far, far more effective way to help people um, and that doesn't cost any more. Um, so that's uh, and, and that alternative approach involves giving people choices. It involves particularly dispersing the um, the housing that we provide to people throughout our communities and also in the provincial context throughout our province. Right now, we are condemning people who start off with serious mental illnesses and with no one in their corner. Wherever they start that journey around BC, we've shown they migrate and they migrate principally because there are no supports for them where they are. They find their way to places like our urban centers, including notably Vancouver. They wind up in SROs. That's become our mental health system. And we can see that the reason for that is that it benefits select people who have influence over our tax dollars. What are these facilities like for people who have never been in one of these SRO hotels? On the, what, what, what's it like in there? Because we often hear that you know, these places are terrible. You know, they've got, they've got, they've got rats, they've, they're fire hazards. What is your opinion of them? Well, so again, there's, there's objective evidence. Yeah. Um, a team uh, associated with one of our very large projects flew across the country and conducted objective assessments of the housing that was provided to people um, who were uh, at risk of homelessness or had been homeless. And the quality of the housing in Vancouver was by far the worst in the country. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's, it's common to hear people uh, describe, um, look, the, the reason we have so many encampments and people sleeping rough outside in plain sight is partly because they don't want to go into these types of facilities for the very reasons that you've cited. Workers, uh, including myself, but, but, but people who've been uh, supporting people living in these settings are, are facing the, the, the hardships of, of exposure to, to, to bed bugs and other forms yeah. of infestation. Obviously, the residents themselves are the, are the, are the, are the, the ones most impacted. But these are in, incredibly uh, decrepit and, and unsafe. They're also unsafe because of the human element that is um, uh, also attracted. There, there are various forms of predation um, involving sex, drugs, theft that are rampant in yeah. many of these settings and obviously have extraordinarily destructive in, impacts on people. Okay, you said something earlier that jumped out at me, and you were talking about a, a better way forward, a, a different model of, of housing people, and you said that there are other ways we can do this that are that basically cost the same amount of, of money. Because it always, I always thought that the reason that we're doing this, the reason that we're putting people into these decrepit hotels is because it was the most cost-effective 
way to do it. You know, you got these old hotels. We can put lots of people in there in these congregate settings, and it's the most efficient way to do it from a cost analysis. Is that, are you saying that that's not the reason, isn't that the reason they do it? Is to save money? No, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not the reason. It's that it's, if somebody tries to make that argument, it's pretty hard to to uh, hold that up in the face of in the face of evidence. The, the the main the main reasons that the cost of providing people with more effective um, types of housing and, and supports uh, uh, it, w- w- the reason that it comes out in the wash is is that the living in these settings exposes people to far more frequent involvement with crime and far more frequent involvement with medical emergencies. Days in hospital, you can throw a round figure of a thousand bucks a day at hospital admissions. Keep in mind that we're, you know, I'm, I'm here as a clinical psychologist. Why am I here talking about SROs? It's because that setting has become our mental health system. Um, my, yeah. my, my whole body of work is, has, has led into focusing on people who experience homelessness, people who are frequently involved with courts, police, corrections, only because those are the settings where we've, we've designed, uh, um, the, uh, we've designated that these are the places where people who, who experience serious mental illnesses and who have no one in their corner are, are, are going to be kind of contained. Yeah. Um, it's extraordinarily costly, about $55,000 per person per year to be in a revolving door of SRO, courts and corrections, and hospital. And the fact that it costs so much and benefits, by the way, many people, is what creates the opportunity for cost offset. We can pay a bit more for rent. It means, it means by the way, partnering with private sector landlords, not running everything through publicly administered uh, services, private sector landlords, crucially, private sector employers. Um, these are the things that people say they want. By the way, internationally, there's, there's a lot of literature on the preferences of people. About 85% have a strong preference for independent housing. So this is not only a dysfunctional approach, it's not what people even say they want. Um, so hopefully this is a, a point in time. And by the way, this is not restricted to Atira. Yeah. It's the way we've designed our services almost across the board for people um, who really need uh, urgent assistance and who are mentally ill. Um, so hopefully this is a, 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 you know, an inflection point and can be a catalyst for talking about a, a larger redesign. All right. We continue to talk about the fallout from the BC Housing Forensic Audit. My guest, Dr. Julian Summers, Simon Fraser University, talking about the housing models we have right now for people who are homeless, mentally ill, addicted to drugs. Is it working? Doesn't seem to be. Erica in South Surrey. Hi, Erica. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. Um, just to let you know, my daughter was in the system. Bill is under their umbrella, but I bought an apartment for her. Um, the NDP has given notice they're closing three of those facilities in Lake Rock and South Surrey, and these people have nowhere to go, and it's a real problem. And Fraser Health is actually batting, going to battle for them, but the government isn't on it. They're being evicted. Why, why, are, they, why are they doing that? About funding, they said it's about the funding. Wow. Okay, Erica, please do me a favor and send me an email, okay? I, I would like to talk further with you about it off the air. 
if you can. Mike at cknw.com is how to reach me. Please do that if you can. Mike at cknw.com. Thank you for the call. Let's squeeze another call in here. Tammy in New West. Hi, Tammy. Go ahead. What do you think? Hi. Um, I have a question for Dr. Summers. Sure. Um, I'm wondering if the older model of having people who have mental illnesses uh, or things like that um, being housed in an institutional setting is always a bad thing. I don't know if you saw the coverage that Douglas Todd did in the Vancouver Sun about his father, but one of the points he made was that his father had a pre-existing mental illness, went to war, it was exacerbated by that, and he ended up living in, I think in, I think he was placed involuntarily in a, a kind of like apartment-style place where he had his own room, but his meals were communal and so on. Um, do you think, I know there were abuses in the institutions, but could we yeah. not try fixing those things? Because a lot of homeless people are mentally ill. Yeah, Julian Summers, your thoughts. Yeah, excellent, excellent point. Uh, and by the way, I encourage people to have a look at Doug Todd's story of his of his father, Harold. It's uh, it's a real eye opener. Um, I appreciate your mentioning it. Um, we moved away from the institutional model. I, I I was at Riverview working in the in the mid to late '80s, and at that time there was already evidence to show that most people could be better supported and had better outcomes if they were uh, provided with housing and necessary supports in their home communities. So we, we've completely failed to follow through on that commitment to people. We, di- we did the closure. We didn't do the, the big opening all around the province. So that's still a big piece of work that remains undone for us. I, you're correct that there are uh, going to be a subgroup of people who uh, will always uh, uh, need, uh, I, I don't mean they individually will always need this, but there's going to be a group that will need institutional forms of support. And we don't have enough of those. But we, I think it's important to emphasize that the failure that we're seeing in our system right now doesn't mean we made a big mistake closing the institution and that the answer is reopening another massive institution or institutions around the province. The, the evidence shows that if we provide people with the, with the promised form of care, that they, the vast majority of them will thrive and become members of our community. Let's remember also that people with mental illnesses are already in our communities. We're talking here about the subgroup who both have serious mental illnesses and have no social support. That's the, the key differentiator. But we're not talking about introducing mental illness into apartment buildings or into our communities. It's already there. Many of us have mm. mental illness in our families. So we're talking about opening our doors and, um, and making more space for people who really need uh, assistance, structural assistance. And, and based on that, in many instances, are able to move forward and become members of communities uh, Doug's, Doug's father, Harold, um, became a regular library patron. He was an artist. Um, he, he, he was able to uh, uh, flourish within the constraints of, 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 of his own abilities. And, and that's really what Doug is pointing out, that, that, that it's possible for people to, uh, to live decent, uh, respected um, lives, and, and we're denying people that opportunity. Okay. 
Okay, this is such an important issue, and I always greatly value your point of view and insight on it and the time you make available to us. Thank you very much for coming on today. A pleasure, Mike. Thank you. All right, here we go now with the looming crackdown on Airbnb. Airbnb is super popular, of course, and getting even more popular as tourism roars back to life here. Lots of people traveling again. And lots of people love Airbnb, and why not? You get to stay in a local home during your visit, cook your own meals while on vacay. I mean, our family has used Airbnb on some holidays in the past, and it's worked out great. Here's the problem. You take a look at the housing supply, especially in our province. Is Airbnb and other short-term rentals gobbling up the supply of rental housing? Take a look what's going on in British Columbia. We've got the highest rental cost in the whole country the last few years, especially in Metro Vancouver. The vacancy rate, super low. It's difficult to find a decent, affordable place to rent. Why is that? Is, is Airbnb part of the problem? Or are some of the owners of these suites renting them out, running them like hotel rooms? The provincial government here is saying they're going to wade in here. Got Murray Cox standing by to discuss this. Let's have a listen here first. This is Ravi Kalon, BC's housing minister on an earlier show, talking about why the, the government appears poised here to intervene here and regulate Airbnb. Have a listen. Our idea is to do two things. One, to ensure that there's more tools available to local governments to uh, enforce uh, their rules. And second, find ways for more of our housing stock to come back to people who need housing as opposed to, um, you know, being rented out for a couple of days in a month to, to make a few bucks. Okay, so he says they want to free up housing for people to actually live in, not for to rent out for a few days. Let's discuss now with my guest, Murray Cox. Murray is with the Housing Justice Data Lab, and I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Murray, thanks a lot for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, you you bet. Tell me a little bit about the uh, the housing justice work there you do at Data Lab. There, what do you guys do there? So, in 2015, I started a project called Inside Airbnb, and we've been collecting data on Airbnb around the world, and uh, to measure its impact on communities, on housing, um, and to keep platforms like Airbnb accountable, and to also help cities decide how to regulate short-term rentals. Right. And what have you found out in your studies? What kind of impact is Airbnb having? Well, first of all, um, Airbnb allows, uh, Airbnb and, and short-term rental platforms allow property owners to convert housing into hotels. And so we, we find in most cities, the majority of, of short-term rental listings are entire homes or apartments. So they're potentially displacing um, housing and, and displacing families. We also find that um, these operators have multiple homes and apartments that they're renting. Um, in places like Vancouver that have registration systems, we, uh, which is good, it's good that Vancouver and, and cities like Victoria are restricting short-term rentals to the primary residents. Although in, in places like Vancouver, we see people um, with uh, with multiple um, short-term rentals uh, listed on, on Airbnb. For example, about 30% of 
Vancouver's entire home short-term rentals on Airbnb are in some type of portfolio where the host has more than one. Yeah, and this is what we hear a lot, and this seems to be one of the key concerns from our, our provincial government here is that municipalities have brought in rules and restrictions on, on this in some cases, notably Vancouver, as you mentioned, but it sounds like there are ways to get around the rules or maybe there's no enforcement of the rules. Let me play another clip here for you from the provincial housing minister to get your thoughts. So this is Ravi Kalon on an earlier show about some of these local rules and whether they're whether they're effective or not. Let's listen. It's a patchwork of ideas and policies yeah. across British Columbia and across Canada. And, and what we hear consistently from local governments is we don't even know who's operating. We don't know if they're following the rules. We have no enforcement tools if somebody is breaking the rules. Yeah, so he says there's a patchwork of local rules from city to city, and even local governments are having trouble enforcing their own rules. Murray, are you hearing similar stories in other cities and other jurisdictions? Yeah, this is a battle that's been fought in tens of thousands of cities individually. They're, they're each coming up with their own solutions. Thankfully, there are some good uh, regulatory models. But in, in terms of British Columbia, uh, McGill University in 2019 found that uh, short-term rentals were growing twice as fast in small cities and rural areas. So how, how would a, a smaller city or a municipality in British Columbia uh, be able to handle this? And th they also found that the housing pressure was disproportionately affecting cities in, in particularly British Columbia. So I think the issue in British Columbia is really important. Yeah, and I know BC is looking at other jurisdictions and how they've approached it. And I, and I know that in the province of Quebec, they've just released some, some new provincial legislation. And there, what, can you tell me about the fire that happened there? Yeah, so there was a tragic fire in uh, old Montreal city in March where I believe seven people were killed and six of them were staying in illegal, um, in illegal Airbnb. And this is uh -huh. in a city that this is in city that had a registration system in that part of the city. Short term rentals were banned, but still they, they were able to list on Airbnb. Uh, Airbnb was profiting from these illegal listings. Um, and so. Uh, on Tuesday, the provincial government uh, came out with some legislation, some proposed legislation, to try to make uh, platforms like Airbnb accountable. Okay, that's very interesting. Speaking to Murray, Co Murray Cox, inside Airbnb, does British Columbia need to crack down on short-term rentals like Airbnb? That's a tragic fire you just described there in an, in a, in an illegal Airbnb unit there in, in Montreal. Here in British Columbia, too, we continue to hear complaints sometimes about big parties. Some of these Airbnb units are like party houses, causing disruptions in neighborhoods and bothering neighbors. Let's listen to the housing minister on that, then I'll get your thoughts. So that's Ravi Kalon here on an earlier show. Multiple complaints uh, in the neighborhood or uh, concerns in the neighborhood around parties, etc., how do those get dealt with? And, uh, and right now, many communities don't have any policies in place uh, to, to enforce any of their rules. I, I wonder if Airbnb might say, you know, boy, we're picking at these, some of these tragic examples like the fire you described in Montreal or occasionally you hear about an Airbnb party house that's causing problems. 
aren't the vast majority of Airbnb rentals, though, married? They go off usually without a hitch and everybody's happy. Well, I'm not sure that's the issue. I think those issues are the tip of the iceberg. And it's a symptom of the problem that hosts are not staying in these properties. These are people that are taking housing off the market. Uh, the guests can do uh, what they want. And so I think these quality of life issues or um, these serious safety issues are a tip of the iceberg and a symptom of the problem. I, th- I think we need to uh, we need to regulate, we need to get the housing back. A- and I think um, we do need to focus on on some of those um, those issues, but I think the fact that people are converting entire homes into de facto hotels, I think that's the broader mm. issue. What about tourism? Like BC is a big tourism destination. It's a, it's a big part of our economy. We've got tourism on the rebound here. And a lot of people love Airbnb when they're traveling. And I asked the housing minister about that. A lot of people want to come here on vacation. They want to stay in an Airbnb. I asked him about that. If you're, if you could be hurting tourism by cracking down on, on this. And here's what he had to say. Then I'll get your thoughts. This is the challenge. I think when you're in a housing crisis is every unit that can be made available needs to be available for people. At the same time, we need to ensure that uh, tourism communities in particular have the opportunity to continue to have this important uh, uh, tourism opportunity. Okay. So he talked a little bit there about balance between tourism and, and a housing supply. Murray, your thoughts on that? How do you get around that? How do we have the best of both worlds here? Well, I don't think you. I, I don't think you can have a best of both worlds and a win-win. I think. I think what you need is a balance, and each municipality has to decide where that balance is. Is it allowing um, some sh- short-term rentals? Is in some other municipalities it might mean banning short-term rentals. And you can still have tourism if even if you ban short-term rentals. I think hotels play an important part, and they're appropriately regulated. So I think uh, the the province has to create a framework. Um, for municipalities to decide and make these decisions, um, but in a way that's uh, that's enforceable. Yeah, and so what do you think that the BC government should do here? I mean, they've clearly indicated that something is coming. There, there are some sort of regulatory actions that are coming from this government here, province-wide. What do you think should be done? Well, they already have a mandatory registration system, but there's... Um, there's no requirement for the platforms to follow that a registration system. Um, in in the city of Victoria, people just post um, their registration numbers anywhere in the description. Whereas in Vancouver, there's a specific field in Airbnb to, to put the number. So in the city of Victoria, it's very difficult to tell whether a property is licensed or not. So I think the laws should address that type of issue. I think also there should be data sharing by the platforms. Uh, so the, the platform should share their data with the um, with the province and they should be shared with the municipalities, which would help with enforcement. Okay, we're going to follow this closely here and see what the province does. Murray, thank you for coming on with your thoughts on it today. Great, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.